Hi, welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 15. I'm George. And I'm Jim. And I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And we've got another good show lined up for you today. Jim, what have you got for us? Well, it's actually a segment on HF Beacons, a worldwide network of them. I've got a segment here today on building the Softrock software-defined radio. Now, Tommy, what have you got? Well, I found some really cool software I think people will be interested in knowing about, if, if some of them don't already know, uh, Ham Radio Deluxe. Oh yeah, I use that myself. It's good stuff. And Peter, what have you got for us? Well, I've got the long-awaited review of the Deegan DE1103, which is a great little shortwave receiver. For the money, that's uh, got to be the hottest shortwave deal out. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Yeah, it looks very nice. Well, Peter, do you have an email for us down under there? Yeah, sure, George. I've got a, an email here from Bonnie Scotland from Andy, GM0NWI. And uh, Andy's written to us because he's been having a, a few problems trying to find out about a book uh, released by Drew Diamond VK3XU. And uh, Drew's a fellow Victorian uh, who lives here in, uh, in Australia. And uh, he, uh, he's been trying to find out about a book called Radio Projects for the Amateur Part 4. Uh, and uh, parts one to three have been released, but he's been looking to try and find uh, about part four and when it's going to be released, all without success. So, uh, well, I got uh, Andy's email and uh, I gave Drew a ring uh, at home and uh, he was kind enough to point out that uh, he's working on uh, part four as we speak and it's likely to be released early next year. So that's great news. Wow. Uh, I'm just curious, Peter, did you know Drew personally beforehand? Oh, no, not at all, not at all. But, uh, you know, with a bit of basic uh, detective work, I was able to track down his phone number without too much trouble. Very good. I'm familiar with Drew's work. He's, uh, he's really got a great volume of work. Good stuff, too. Uh, if, just in case George or Tommy or some of our viewers is not familiar with Drew's work, Drew's kind of uh, the Australian equivalent to maybe America's uh, Wes Hayward, W7ZOI. He's uh, kind of just a you know, general all-around uh, homebrew uh, RF design guy. Good work. Well, while we're doing foreign emails, I have one more here uh, from Norway. And I hope I pronounced his name right. I think it's from Stein Ovi. And he says that he built a 9-volt battery clip similar to the one that I did. Uh, with a discharge battery and he thought that I should have been sure to mention to everyone to be careful not to cut yourself on the metal when you're opening the battery. He even uh, sent me a picture here of uh, the battery that he used which looks totally different from the one that I had and I asked him what kind of battery is that and he said well it's a Paradier super heavy duty uh, mercury and cadmium free that they sell over there in Norway. Wow. He also said he had a scary experience with his smoke detector recently. He heard a big bang and uh, smoke was coming out of it. So he, <laughs> he grabbed it and took it outdoors. Oh, wow. What do they call smoke detectors? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess it worked, huh? Well, without any further ado, why don't we have a look at a little DXing using some HF beacons. This segment is about another of my hobbies. You do know that this Amateur logic is one of my hobbies, right? Well, another of my hobbies is DXing. Have you ever participated in any DXing? Well, I thought we would do some in this very segment. And look at some of the tools that will help a novice or a veteran DXer. 
Dxing is the act of trying to receive a distant station on your receiver. Your receiver might be a shortwave radio, an AFM or AM radio, a scanner, even a TV or a ham radio. And I'm sure there are lots of others that I haven't even thought of. One of the first things you're going to want to do once you get your DX station set up is test it. Test the receive capabilities. That's what we're going to do in this very segment. And to do that, we're going to make use of a great resource known as the International Beacon Network. Now, the good folks at the Northern California DX Foundation, in cooperation with the IARU, have constructed and now operate a series worldwide network of radio beacons. And here on their webpage is a map showing the location of the beacons. And here is a link that shows the transmission schedule of each beacon and where we should tune our radio to receive it. As you'll hear in just a few seconds, someone put a lot of thought into how this should all work. For starters, each beacon transmits every three minutes, day and night. This table gives you the minute and second of the start of the first transmission within the hour. So, by simply tuning to any one of these available frequencies and listening, we'll be taken on a world tour once every three minutes around the beacon network, seeing which parts of the world we can pull in on our receiver and which we can't. When you hear one of the beacons, you'll hear a Morse transmission, that is CW, consisting of the beacon's call sign followed by four long tones. The call sign and first tone are sent with 100 watts of output power from the beacon, but the remaining three tones are sent at ever-decreasing power. For instance, the second tone is sent using only 10 watts, the third tone is at 1 watt, and the fourth is at 100 milliwatts. So you can see what a great test this makes for your receive capabilities. Okay, our receiver is turned on, ready to go. Let's take our little trip around the world network of beacons and see what we can hear. Wow, that was a lot of fun. I first started DXing in 1978 when George challenged myself along with our colleague Dan Wright, KD5JLG, to a friendly contest of seeing who could record the farthest away FM radio station on our FM receivers. It was a lot of fun then, and it's still a lot of fun now. Well, Jim, I've been wanting to know a long time more about those beacons, and now, thanks to your video, I know where to go look them up. Yeah, they're good tools for DXers. You can use those guys and uh, just tell what kind of power level you can pull in from a distant land. And, and I forgot about this. Uh, I forgot to mention it on the segment, but uh, if you're into QRP, that's uh, operating ham radios on very low power, 
Well, then it's a great tool because if you can hear that station from that foreign land on low power, then chances are you can work a station there on your low power QRP rig. Uh, that's pretty nice. Actually, our friend Bill and I last night uh, tried to pick up the 20 meter beacons there. We didn't have much luck. It was a lot of uh, thunderstorms yeah. and static here. And, being and I at nighttime, too. Yeah, being at nighttime wasn't the best time to listen, but I'm going to check on those and uh, just see what I can hear. Well, George, uh, I have, I must confess, been looking forward to this segment from you for quite a while, as you know. I have one of these kits that I haven't put together yet. You ordered these kits for both of us, and I don't really know how much they cost. How much did these cost? It's like 15 bucks. Very reasonable. Hi, and thanks for joining us for another From the Bench. Today, we're going to do two things that I've never done before. We're going to build a radio, and we're going to do some surface mount soldering. Now, I've built a radio before. I've built several crystal radios with mixed success on those and I built a transistor radio before but uh, today we're going to build a software defined radio it's called the SoftRock the SoftRock is a small low-cost good performing software defined radio it takes 12 volts and it delivers IQ audio signals to a computer sound card where software decodes the audio into something that we can understand it was designed by Tony Parks KB9YIG and Bill Tracy, KD5TFD. I had to go on the internet and do a little research and find all the documentation that I would need uh, to, to start with so I'd know what I was building and how to put it together. So I did that and uh, it's, it's scattered about is the best way to put it. I would just say go do a Google search for SoftRock if you want to know more about this particular receiver project. It was initially sponsored by the American QRP Association, I believe and uh, now I don't think they are associated with it however they they do still recommend the project it's available today I believe from the developers but that could change um, you know by the time you watch this episode I really don't know so just some good Google searches should get you the results that you need now there's been several different versions of this radio already the kit we're building today is version 6 of the soft rock I've never done any surface mount soldering before, and uh, I don't own any components to do it with. So I started out by doing a little internet search and uh, finding out how other people were doing it at home. There's uh, looked like three different methods to me that might work that others had used. One involved using a regular soldering iron with a fine tip on it and just soldering with that. And I have a tip small enough that would probably work for some of the larger surface mount stuff. Another method involves using a small convection oven or a toaster oven that's temperature controlled and putting the board in there and baking it. And then a third method, this is one I found on uh, Cash Olson's website. This involved using a beverage mug warmer to heat up the board and just to uh, keep it at a good consistent temperature and then using a hot air embossing gun to actually melt the solder and reflow it. Now, I don't know how this is going to go. I've never done it before. There are some examples on the internet. The examples showed some problems, so I hope we don't run into any of those. Maybe we can learn a little bit from others' mistakes as we go. Uh, maybe we'll create a few of our own and uh, someone else will learn from them too. 
we begin by populating the side that's got the most components on it. We'll use the mug warmer and the hot air embossing gun to do this side. And once we've got that done, we'll flip it over and we'll put on the remaining surface mount chip and capacitor with the regular soldering iron. And then we'll put in the, the other through hole components. So to begin soldering, we're gonna need the right solder for the job. This is a tube of solder paste that was obtained from the Cash Olson website. This stuff is quite expensive if you buy it in the quantities that Kester sells it. Fortunately, Cash Olson will sell you a little tube of this very inexpensively and there's enough in here to do the project so we should be uh, set to go with that. Now this solder paste should be stored in a refrigerator and that's where this has been stored for the last several months so I hope that it's still good. But we'll begin by uh, taking it and applying a little bit of the solder paste to each of the spots here on the PC board where we want to make a connection now and we need to be careful that we put the same amount on both sides of the component Otherwise, it might pull the component to one side or the other when we heat it up. This is a tiny needle, and it's a little bit hard to get this stuff out. Before I go any further, I wanted to show you where I have put the solder paste on the board here. You can see I've already mounted one component right there. It's just stuck in the paste. These other uh, little pads here for the capacitors. And I've laid down little solder ropes. We'll plug in the mug warmer now though. It takes 15 to 20 minutes to reach full temperature on it. We take the chips and we position them right in the uh, solder paste where they're going to be and try to center them up as best we can on there. We now have all the components situated on the board and I'm going to go off camera and fine tune them with a big magnifying glass to make sure everything's perfectly centered. We're going to let it just sit on here for a little while. Two or three minutes. I do believe that I see um, the edges may be kind of starting to round off slightly. Okay. The solder is starting to melt. I uh, hope you can see it with the camera. It's, it's already happening, so it's too late for me to move. Um, you know, <laughs> this is going amazingly well. I believe all the solder has melted at this point. And they say here to leave it on the... Uh, Leave it on the warmer for a little bit longer. There we go. And it, it doesn't look bad. None of the components jumped out of place. I think we may have had success here on the first attempt. We're going to put these two on with a conventional soldering iron and a really small tip. Well, it's been a couple hours since we last spoke and I have now completed mining all the through hole components on the board here and soldering them. So all that's ready to go and what remains now is to mount the crystal which is no big deal. And we've also got to wind a couple of little inductors and a transformer to go on here. Winding these coils is a little bit of a challenge. Not too bad. They all do need to be kind of uniform when you get through. I've finished the two inductors 
still whining on the transformer. It's an interesting conversation behind me. There's a couple of older hams on there talking about building radios and probably nobody would build one today. Finally, the last connection. This uh, soft rock version 6 project has been a lot of fun assembling. Uh, here's what the boards look like. So you can see the rear contains the three surface mount integrated circuits and 10 surface mount capacitors. And the front contains all the other components. I've had a lot of fun building this soft rock version 6 kit and I hope you've enjoyed watching it. And maybe you learned a little something, who knows. Anyway, tune back in next time and let's find out if it really works. Man, I wish you'd have ordered one of those for me. I think I'm going to get one for myself. I was really concerned about putting those surface mount components on there, but using that technique and that paste you had, it looked pretty easy. That's the trick, yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons I have the kit. I have some other kits that uh, require some of the uh, more inf uh, finite, uh, what do you call it, surface mount technology soldering. George did a great job on it, and uh, so I'm going to use my soft rock kit to practice with and then move on to some more expensive uh, kits that I have that require the same uh, techniques. It was amazing how the paste would, would shrink back across to those traces and uh, not short together. Yeah, it, it really surprised me at how smooth it went, and when I got through, I looked at it, and uh, I thought it was an excellent job. Uh, you know, I was kind of disappointed that you really couldn't see it any better than you could when I was actually doing it on the video, but I couldn't move once I started, you know, I had to follow through. So uh, I had an old hard drive here with some surface mock components on it, and I, I took one of the chips off and put it back on so, um, so that our viewers could see what it was like. Oh wow, let's have a look at that. I applied uh, a couple of little lines of the solder paste there, but you know, it looks like uh, uh, maybe that's a, a little much, but uh, we'll try it anyway. As the solder begins to meet melting temperature, you'll notice it start to become shiny, and then eventually it'll actually start separating and going toward the pins on the chip. Unfortunately, I had too much solder paste and it wasn't evenly distributed, so you can see that it pulled the chip off by one pin all the way around. Oh, that's not too bad. I can reach in here with a pair of tweezers while it's still warm and put it in place. Oops. <laughs> well, that, you know what? That's kind of what I would expect to have if I'd have done it myself. That I see looked like uh, I walk after I wake up and first get out of bed <laughs> in the morning. It went so smooth when I did the soft rock there, I figured there wouldn't be anything to it with the hard drive, but you know what I know. <laughs> uh, George, uh, I think I might have a solution for your uh, soldering problems there. Bit of duct oh, yeah? tape, bit of duct tape across the top of the uh, IC will probably <laughs> fix that. <laughs> uh, light side and a dark side. And, uh... oh, duct, duct tape is great stuff, useful for everything. Oh, yes, it holds the universe together. Uh, seriously, I have heard that you can use a toothpick to hold down the IC. Yeah, you can. And when I reached in there with those tweezers, you know, going to straighten it up, it didn't take but just a, a little slip of the wrist there and everything came unglued. Yeah, I bet. Well, Tommy, you've got a nice piece of software you're reviewing today that I've been using for several months here and I really like it. 
Yeah, Ham Radio Deluxe. Man, that is a really nice package. Oh, I only wish it supported my rig, which is an oddity. It supports most. I bought a Yesu FT-857D rig. It's a mobile rig. I decided to use it for a base. And the uh, menu system's a little bit cumbersome, although it's a pretty decent rig for the, for the price. Uh, I think it's kind of hard to beat. But like I said, the menu system's a little cumbersome. So we were looking at some software solutions. The rig can be controlled via the CAD interface. I bought a CT62 cable to hook the rig up to my computer's serial port. And uh, someone told me about a software called Ham Radio Deluxe. It's written by a guy named Simon Brown, and his call sign is HB9DRV, uh, HB9DRV, and uh, it's really an incredible piece of software. I know it sounds like a big claim, but I think when I get through with the review, you'll, you should probably agree with me. Uh, I've used it now, and I'm pretty well hooked on it. I can't hardly imagine operating my rig without it, so if I get another rig a regular base i uh, will definitely make sure that ham radio deluxe uh, works with it it does work with quite a wide range of uh, rigs different radios so check the website just do a google search for ham radio deluxe and it'll come up uh, very popular anyway let's take a look at it and see some of the things that it'll do i think you'll be impressed as i was as you can see on the main screen We've got the frequency display, just like on my radio. This corresponds to exactly what I'm seeing. There's an S meter reading, and it's showing what's on the radio as well. As you can see, I've got a pretty high noise level today. I have it hooked up to a Yaesu 857D. It's a nice little radio. It's compact, but and because it's so compact, there's not a lot of knobs and switches on it. So a lot of things are buried deep into the menu system. Well, Ham Radio Deluxe takes a lot of the pain out of getting to that. We've got a panel of buttons over here on the right where we can change turn on and off the speech processor change from uh, VFO A and B uh, quite a number of things enable Vox right now we're on 20, 20 meters and upper sideband you can click the upper sideband icon and change to different modes for your radio um, you can get to that over here as well if you're using a repeater you can set the repeater offsets you can turn your clarifier if you want to change bands just simply click on the band and it'll change or you can use the button selectors here you can make large tuning changes by sliding the slider and you can do fine tuning up here at the top if you want to just type in the frequency in a hurry you can do that and it immediately changes your radio. I usually keep these bars turned on, um, the sliders as they're called, and uh, you can toggle them on and off. I like to keep them up because I have quick access to turn the power down on my radio. That's one of the options uh, that are buried under the menu system on this particular rig. And you can get to it for HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters on here. If you're into DX, there's a DX cluster tool built in and you can click on different bands and see what's active at the time see if you can hear this guy here just click it it changes your frequency on your radio to the appropriate one and and if he's uh, where you can hear him you should hear it coming out of your speaker you can click around the different ones and do the same thing there's a logbook utility built in which is kind of integrated with this DX cluster and with 
the frequency display. Let's bring up the logbook and take a look. I have a few items in my log here already. So let's say we've, we talk to this guy and we want to add him to our logbook. You click add. You can uh, come up with this station here. Click QRZ and it'll load its information from the QRZ site and add it. And then you can add him to your page. I'm sorry, to your logbook. And it includes the frequency if you want, his country, so forth. This logbook will support the formats supported by a lot of the services like uh, EQSL and so forth. It'll import them and export logs so you can share your data with that service if you want to. There's a satellite tracking program built in. If you're into satellite work, it's pretty neat stuff. You can pick your satellites, download your elements off the internet and update your list automatically and then you can go over to your data and your schedule and see when they should pass. If you have an ANL rotor set up and the equipment for satellite work, Ham Radio Deluxe will even control that stuff if you interface with your computer. I don't have any of that set up at the moment. Don't own it, although I would like to have one at some point. And if I come into that, I'll probably do another segment on that. But uh, That'll be pretty far down the road if it ever even happens. This doesn't look very impressive, but you can actually uh, enlarge this and it'll show the full map on the screen in a lot better size so you can see what where the satellite is at the moment. All the satellite stuff here would, would be a full episode in itself so I'm going to kind of move on from that. There are a lot of tools built in. There's a mapper that will show push pins for your contacts and this is also integrated with the logbook program. You can actually tell this you want to plot your locator squares. And I'm just going to do all of them right now just for the sake of doing them. And it'll communicate with the mapping program and actually plot them on the map for you. You can hold the, hold the mouse over and it'll tell the distance between you and the location that you just had a QSO with. There's some other neat tools under the tools menu. There's an audio browser that will allow you to play audio files. There's a there's an audio grabber under there that if you have your audio ran into your sound card you can actually record the audio from your rig through Ham Radio Deluxe. Uh, I wasn't aware of this one until a few days ago but there's also a band scope that you can start and it'll scan the band that you're on and show a graphic representation of the signal strength for different frequencies. If you see a strong one that you're interested in, just stop it, click on it, and it'll change your radio to that frequency. If you want to fine-tune it on the radio itself, you can turn the dial on the radio and you can see that represented down here in the Bandscope program and up here. All these utilities built into Ham Radio Deluxe are integrated really well. Uh, the author, Simon Brown, did a great job on this. It's a, a fine piece of software. Speaking of the author, it's a Ham Radio Deluxe is uh, free software. Registration is free. You can download it. If you do a Google search for Ham Radio Deluxe, it'll pop up top of the list. If you find it useful, there's no obligation to pay. But if you do, you can click the Support Ham Radio Deluxe link on the Help menu, and it'll take you to the site where you can make a donation. As you can see, it's a pretty powerful piece of software. We just barely scraped the surface on the capabilities of it. 
I may come back and touch on some more of them later. Like I said, the PSK31 module, I don't have that capability right now. I'm not hooked up to my sound card and so forth. Uh, I plan on doing that in the very near future and I will probably have that in a, an upcoming episode. I think that'll be pretty interesting. Like I said, lots of things that, that it'll do that we haven't touched. Get it and explore and you'll find some really cool stuff in there and after you start using it you'll be like me and you won't want to operate your rig without it. Peter, have you ever used Ham Radio Deluxe? Well, it's funny you should mention that because uh, I actually, uh, I've never used it, but I, I checked it out to see whether my IC751 would actually work uh, with it. And uh, there is one model that it will work with, but the actual model IC751 that I've got, um, it won't work with. <laughs> so, you know, I was uh, a little bit annoyed at that, but that's the way it goes. You're in the same boat as me then. When I buy another rig, it's definitely going to have to be supported by Ham Radio Deluxe. Yeah, you know, one thing I didn't cover in there was the remote control ability. You can actually connect remotely over a IP socket, and it's just like being right at your computer. You can control your rig, change frequencies, do everything. The, the one thing you can't do is, is you know, actually uh, send your audio to and from it. But uh, you could really, um, really work something up with probably Skype and some relays, different things like that, and, and work that out. I have actually used it remotely from in the house. You know, my shack is separate of the house, and I'll run the laptop in there. A lot of times, I do have the audio uh, routed into the house through a pair of cables where I can listen, and I'll control the rig from in there. You can actually key the rig with Ham Radio Deluxe remotely. You've just got to have your own way of getting the audio to it. Uh, George, you've actually got a, an Echolink interface, I believe, that might be, might be possible to use with that. Well, Echolink won't really work with Ham Radio Deluxe, uh, with, with HF anyway, because uh, squelches don't really work right on HF. Um, and Echolink is, uh, really requires that because it's, uh, it's not full duplex. But uh, a service like Skype, which is full duplex, will work with it. Okay, I've got an email here from Bill K1ATV. And Bill writes, writes to us to tell us about an amateur television network. Uh, in the United States that uh, stretches from San Diego to Santa Barbara. Uh, it uh, also stretches all the way across the desert into Las Vegas. Uh, we don't have it. Yeah, we don't have anything like that here in here in Australia. We have uh, separate ATV repeaters, but they're not interlinked in any way. But it uh, sounds like a really great network. And uh, Bill. And Bill also writes to tell us about uh, Tom W6ORG's website. That's www.hamtv.com. Yeah, I believe Tom is the one who wrote the uh, Ham TV chapter in the AWRL handbook. Bill also writes that uh, at his home QDH in Phoenix, Arizona, they have uh, four Ham TV repeaters, one of which is on a uh, 9,000 foot mountain at Mount Lemmon overlooking Tucson, Arizona. Oh, cool. Well, you know, <laughs> we don't have any um, ATV repeaters here in Mississippi. Well, there's, uh, there's an idea for a new project uh, there, George. Build a ham, <laughs> ham TV repeater. Well, you'd be the guy would call on for our resources. Well, no worries. <laughs> I've got an email here, too. Uh, this one comes from Matthew, VO1GXG. He says he's the second youngest operator in VO1 land at 16 years old. 
He said Canada participates in the ARRL Field Day as well. I don't think we realized that back during Field Day, did we, Jim? I, I thought they did, but I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah, he said that he participated from uh, Signal Hill in St. John's, Newfoundland, uh, where Marconi received the first wireless transmissions in 1902. I was about to say, I've heard of that. He said he, he, said he really enjoyed the segment on uh, powering my uh, station from a lawnmower, and that he had often thought about doing that himself while he was mowing the grass, but he had to remind himself that he was using a push mower. <laughs> <laughs> He said he really enjoyed episodes uh, 14 and 13, as well as all the other episodes. Cool. George, I've got yeah. an email that ties into that one. Oh, you do? I do. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. I don't know what it is. Uh, no. No, this is from someone else. It's from Greg W. in Finland. Ah. And Greg writes to uh, thank us for a great series of shows, but he also says sometimes he's a little confused why some outsider non-ham folks think of hams as being kind of nuts in the head but yeah. since he watched episode 14 that cleared it right up for him <laughs> oh, he, he yeah. says he says just imagine this emergency situation a hurricane for example has destroyed the community and everything's shaken up residents and uh, just as these shaken up residents are emerging from the rubble, here goes flying by two big fire rescue trucks and a Hummer and a local trooper. And finally, following up at a breakneck five miles per hour, is George on his riding lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Well, we got a video from Peter. Uh, he's uh, reviewed a Degen shortwave receiver. It's an incredible little receiver. I'm glad he did this because I've actually been looking at some uh, shortwave receivers on eBay. Welcome today from Mount Dandenong, about 30 kilometres east of the city of Melbourne here in Australia. I've come up here because uh, there's a lot of uh, interference down where I live and uh, this is a good place as any to test out the Deegan DE1103 uh, which is uh, an interesting little Chinese receiver that I came across quite recently. You can buy this receiver for about $70 US over the internet delivered uh, but it may be a little bit more expensive if you're buying through a dealer in your local country. Before we look at the Deegan, however, let's have a quick look around where I am at the moment. This is Sky High, which is on the top of Mount Dandenong, about 30 kilometres due east of Melbourne. It has a restaurant, cafe, and great views of Melbourne and its suburbs. In the 1970s, when the CB boom was at its peak, Sky High was the place to be. With line-of-sight transmission and reception, it was, and still is, very easy to talk for hundreds of miles, even with a low-powered rig. As has been said before, height really is everything. Also on Mount Dandenong is some beautiful national park and lots of English-style tea rooms. In summer, on a hot day, this is a great place to hang out, as it is often several degrees cooler than down in the suburbs below. Back to the Deegan. My 1103 was imported from a reputable eBay seller in China. It came with a 220 volt AC adapter, stereo earbuds, rechargeable batteries, a small wire external antenna, and a carrying pouch. Okay, let's have a look at the front of the radio for starters. I've got a couple of alarms for turning the radio on at a predetermined time. And uh, we've also got a volume button, which is very strange. Now, to change the volume on this radio, we'll just turn it on. You press the button, 
and you turn the tuning knob like this and it changes the, uh, the volume level. Over here we've got a uh, imitation band segment display, very much like old radios. Now it covers chunks of the band from 100 kilohertz through to 30 megahertz. I can press this time button and see what the time is at any given point in time. And I can go from band segment to band segment, go up and down by pressing these two buttons. I can type in a frequency, let's say 13,000 kilohertz, just hit the band plus button and uh, there I am, I'm uh, gone straight to the frequency. And this, this uh, sleep button here t functions as an on and off button. A socket here for the 6 volt charger, an earphone socket, a local and DX switch. I've also got an antenna socket for the little wire antenna that comes with the radio. Over here we've got our tuning dial, which also doubles as a volume knob. I've got a narrow wide news slash music uh, switch. This reduces the uh, bandwidth from 6 to 4 kilohertz. 6 kilohertz wide, 4 kilohertz narrow. Again, if you've got adjacent interference, uh, this will help improve that. Fine tuning for the single sideband uh, reception. And here we've got a backlight, which uh, works very, very well at night time. And uh, a line-out plug as well. It's even, well done. It's even, we've got two. Yeah, now the reception on uh, on FM is very, very good. The sound is crisp, sharp and clear. It's got a very, very wide bandwidth. Very pleasant to listen to and of course it's in either stereo or mono. A single sideband switch will switch between uh, stereo, stereo or mono. It's a nice strong signal, probably China. Okay, let's see if we can find a single sideband transmission of the 20 metre band. Ooh, big signal. Press the single sideband switch. Let's tune it in. I should add one additional feature that the radio has, 268 memories, but here's the catch, they're in hexadecimal. Well there you have it, in my opinion the Deegan DE1103 is a great little travelling radio for shortwave or FM use, and the price is very competitive. Don't be put off by the rather unusual controls, you'll get used to them quite quickly. But don't take my word for it, go to www.eham.net, go to the product reviews section and look under general coverage receivers. I'm sure you will be pleasantly surprised. Well that was really interesting Peter. Do they have that in a US version? Uh, I, I believe it's sold through dealers uh, in the US there Tommy and uh, you, they'll almost certainly have the appropriate adapters for your, uh, your power supply over there. Just, just one thing I should point out, though, that uh, that particular radio is sold under a number of different brands, both on eBay and, and outside. Uh, you'd be looking for the Degen, that's D-E-G-E-N, D-E-1103, or the Kaitu, uh, K-A-1103, K-A-I-T-O, 
1103, uh, KA1103, or uh, on eBay, it's also just sold as the DE-1103. Um, if you're really worried about warranty, uh, it's probably better to work through a, um, uh, an American dealer, but uh, you can save a few dollars if you buy direct from China. Peter, I've got a question too, but I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of that mountain, being that I'm not very good with Australian words. <laughs> but how tall is it? It's uh, 633 metres uh, high above uh, sea level, which is about 2,000 feet, George. Okay, that would make a nice tower location. Yeah, and it's a beautiful location. Well, all our TV towers are, are mounted up there and, and a number of uh, FM radio towers as well. Yeah, I'm looking for some more segments shot up there. That looks like a nice place. Well, I'd like to actually do some segments um, live. You know how we're, uh, we're talking at the moment uh, and preparing our program. Uh, right. One of my little projects which I'd like to do in the future is, in fact, to do this live from Mount Dandenong using uh, a wireless link uh, on uh, 2.4 gigahertz. So that's something I'm, I'm looking to do at, at some stage. Well, I've got another email here. Mine is from John N3DRH, and he says, Every ham will love these videos. And uh, check out this link here. And that is an incredible experiment. I have never seen anything like that. I had no idea salt water could burn like that. I didn't either, you know, and I, I watched that whole series of videos there and all the news people were really amazed about how much money it's gonna save us all one day. But nobody seemed to take into account the electricity that's necessary to run that transmitter. Exactly. <laughs> so it's not free. It was pretty amazing though. Oh, it was amazing. The, the physics part behind it was incredible. I'm just not sure it's any cheaper than gasoline. We'll, yeah. it, we'll know one day, though. Yeah. Well, I've got one more email for you. This is from Bob H, KC9LZK. And Bob writes in to say, usually he's apprehensive to vidcast because there's so many out there that are so bad. Amen. But uh, he says he's about halfway through episode 14 now, and wow, you guys are great. Thanks, Bob. He says he loves the information, especially since he just got his ticket a week ago. All right, Bob, way to go. We were probably one of the original, if not the original, uh, amateur radio uh, television show on the internet. And, you know, when there's no one else there, I guess you do look okay. So <laughs> I've got one more email here. This one's from Chris. And he wants to know, do I know any way to mount a Linksys WMP300N uh, which is, I guess, a wireless in or pre-in uh, type of device into a cantina. No. <laughs> Here's a picture of it. It's too big. You duct tape it in there. A little duct tape and a 55-gallon drum, I guess. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. That'll do it. Well, we hope you've enjoyed watching episode 15 as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Yeah, it was really great. Enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun as always. And tune in next time for number 16, and I'm going to show you that that soft rock, software-defined radio actually does work. Looking forward to that. See you. See you next time. See you later. See you next time.
I've got to say, for the money, I don't think you can beat it. And everybody, uh, well, my dog went off. Let me say that again. <laughs> Your dog went off? <laughs> yeah. Can you reset him? <laughs> yeah, reboot him. <laughs>